Welcome to episode 77 of Courtside Indiana podcast. I'm Jim Reamer. Flying solo tonight, so hopefully I won't bore you too badly, but Zach uh, is doing uh, family things for the 4th. I'm about ready to do 4th of July festivities, but uh, it should be a relatively short one today, uh, at least this time around. And the, the, the two events, we had, we had two events over the weekend. One was the Pro Player Showcase which was put on by George Hill over at the factory on the west side of Indianapolis, um, along with, uh, you know, Team Teague. That's their facility. There, there were a number of teams from different parts of the Midwest that were affiliated with pro, you know, NBA players for the, for the most part, as best I can tell. A couple of them didn't show up, so there were some other teams that came in and, and played. So we'll have some evaluations of that. Of that stuff on Friday and then Saturday was Battle of the Brands, which was an Indiana Elite Indy Heat uh, event that they ha- they threw last year. Last year was very very cool event because really we didn't have a lot of we didn't have a lot of basketball last year. I mean we did sort of have a season, but it was pretty much makeshift events that were usually only anywhere from six to eight teams in an age group, and <clears throat> it just wasn't the kind of stuff that we're used to. And you know with some teams go, you know, a lot of us go separate directions. And so it was good uh, that last year they came together. This year, uh, not as much hype surrounding it. And doesn't mean the games weren't as good. I know some guys uh, didn't play this weekend. CJ Gunn didn't play. Uh, we can, you know, we can sort of theorize why some guys didn't do it. It's the moratorium week. So it's, the, you know, a lot of people are on vacation. Uh, some of them, I'm sure, came back in time to play, and some of them, or a few of them didn't. But for the most part, it's still a good chance to watch two teams with a lot of talent play each other, and we're going to talk about that as well. We've got some Leland Walker news that is not news by now, uh, but it, yesterday he announced he was going to Hargrave Military Academy over on the East Coast. Talk a little bit about that, and then um, we're going to get it started off with um, – with update and recruiting. So I'm going to handle that since Zach's not here. Uh, basically, we're going down alphabetically. Tayshawn Comer, there were no commitments this week, so these are all offers. Tayshawn Comer uh, from Cathedral picked up uh, an offer from Eastern Kentucky, another mid-major offer. Ryan Conwell had a great week in terms of offers. He picked up four offers this week. Miami of Ohio, Eastern Illinois, Evansville, and IUPUI. Micah Davis, who's a sophomore from... Uh, Franklin, uh, we touched on him a little bit last week when uh, Nick Baumgart and I t- did our second podcast on the uh, Charlie Hughes shootout. He picked up an offer from IUPUI. Jackson D- Edwards picked up from Cathedral. Jackson Edwards picked up three offers, Eastern Michigan, Evansville, and Milwaukee. Connor Asijan added to his long list of mid-major offers in Murray State, Loyola, and Loyola of Illinois, and Bowling Green. Britt Harris from Michigan City Marquette, uh, but he is since enrolled at Bosco uh, Prep School as a, as a high school, you know, as a senior. He picked up offers from Cleveland State and St. Francis. That's St. Francis in Pennsylvania, the Division I school there. Uh, Jalen Hooks from Christmas Attics made a visit to Pittsburgh and picked up an offer while he was there. Logan Imes, finally on the board. This, this was a long time coming. Uh, he picked up offers from Southern Illinois Edwardsville, Akron and Bradley. Jalen Jackson from Fort Wayne Northrop picked up an offer from Bellarmine. Armand Girard 
picked up an offer from IUPUI, so that's matching his brother's offer from IUPUI. Andrew Leeper from, from Homestead picked up an offer from Saginaw Valley Division II school up in Michigan. Will Lovings Watts picked up an offer from Jeff, I'm sorry, from Jeffersonville, picked up an offer from Murray State. Christian Nunn, uh, who has transferred from Liberty Christian to uh, Christmas Addicts, picked up an offer from Northwood, again, a Division II school in uh, Michigan. J uh, JQ Roberts, Jake Quillan Roberts, who pretty much goes by JQ, picked up an offer from uh, Miami of Ohio. He's from Bloomington North. Billy Smith picked up a pair of offers this week after his uh, successful two weekends in June where he, he added a Miami offer. This week, he picked up offers from Bellarmine and Army. Kyle Thomas, a guard from Cloverdale, picked up a Division II offer from Cedarville. Caden Vasco from Lowell, who is also enrolled at Don Bosco Prep, picked up an offer from Missouri and Kansas City. And then Charlie Williams picked up, uh, looks like, six offers last week. Uh, since, the, uh, since the Charlie Hughes shootout, he picked up offers from William & Mary. That one was almost uh, instant. Well, I guess that was the, the last one he picked up. William & Mary, Evansville, Loyola, Illinois, Purdue, Fort Wayne, Milwaukee, and Central Michigan. So he had gone from three early offers to sort of a plateau in terms of offers. And now all of a sudden he's got a bevy of offers. And he, uh, he helped himself as about as much as anybody at Charlie Hughes last week. We talked a little bit about him. Uh, he's, he's, he's stronger and he is showing more range. Very, very good early on in his career at Carmel, going over either shoulder. And what he's able to do now is play a little bit more through contact and get that second pivot in if he needs to and finish that way. And then he's, while it's still a slow release, he's definitely expanding his range. And, and you know, he's basically taking it out beyond the three-point line. Again, I don't think that's anything Carmel's going to wrap a lot of offense around, but it definitely will be something where you're going to have to be able to guard that action and ball screen, and, and anytime he's he's setting, anytime he's back screening, which those are two things that are, you know, pretty important part of Carnival's offense. So he's going to get some three point touches this 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 winter, and he showed last weekend that he's at least going to be a threat from there. So, um, Comer, this weekend, I I thought we're just going to dip right into these games now. Starting with the Battle of the Brands, that was the game on Saturday. The 15 and 16 year old teams, uh, the top age group, the top teams in each program, Indy Heat and Indiana Elite, those games were not close at all. Uh, they Indiana Elite dominated both those games. Uh, the 17 year old age group, uh, it was it was back and forth. Uh, Indy Heat led most of the way. The, the lead went from anywhere from 10 to zero. I mean, Indiana Elite never never stretched out. It never it was never in jeopardy of being a blowout, um, but Indiana Elite could never get over the hump at the 17 and under age group. So, and and really we focus mostly on the, the top teams. Their second teams each played each other as well. Uh, we would have, the one guy would have liked to have seen play in that second, that second team game would, would have been Joe Reedy from Woodland. Um, he is, he was really good in, in the top 100 two weeks ago, and that would have been an opportunity to see him play uh, a little bit better competition. But, um, you know, that's a guy who I think is 
is on the cusp of maybe turning the corner on, on some, some lower D1 offers. He's, he's squarely a D2 guy. Um, and that's just, I think with his combination of skill set and size, he's got a chance to be, you know, a steal for some lower level Division One schools. So, but this weekend, the games we actually saw, I thought Saturday, the Battle of the Brands, the two guys that helped themselves the most were, were Comer and, and, and Tayshon Comer from, from Cathedral and Connor Asijan from Central Noble, those in the 17-year-old game. And we're just talking about the guys who, who aren't committed yet. So, I mean, Fletcher Loyal had a good stretch, but that was the important matchup. It was Asijan versus Lawyer. You know, two Fort Wayne area guys going at it. Um, and Connor was going to have to be able to show that he can that he can get into a shot off the dribble. And and I think that's that's the one question mark for him against better athletes. Now, Lawyer is not going to be the type of athlete uh, at the top level at any in any Division One level. He's not going to be the kind of athlete that um, is going to you know, be that defensive stopper. He's going to be a good position defender. He's going to be a good team defender. And, but it was important for a season to be able to get, get to spots and get to shots, you know, against, against top competition, which he had done in the spring a little bit. But again, college coaches aren't watching and college coaches weren't watching these games, but he, he was able to do that this weekend. And, you know, he was able to, you know, get into shots off one dribble, off two dribble, and he's not going to be a guy that tries to isolate and, and break somebody down. He's going to be a catch. You're going to run him off the line. He's going to get someplace, and he's going to get into a shot, and he was able to do that. And it just it showed more that he's not just a catch-and-shoot guy. And he, he gets a little bit more of that flavor off the dribble. Uh, we saw it last fall in the fall league that, that we run down here, but at the same time, you know, AAU is not is not the structure to school ball, obviously, but it's definitely more structured than than, you know, a fall league. So it was good to see him get to spots. It was good to see him read help. It's good to see him be patient, you know, and even even his lawyer got back to him or even his defender got back to him. He was still able to shoot up and elevate and shoot contested shots and and not look forced doing it. Um, you know, a siege in a four shot or a contested shot from 15 is not a forced shot for him. You know, he's very comfortable doing it. So, and what Coburn was able to show, I thought just his overall command of each possession. And it, this is something that he's continued on through Cathedral. And he is in a position now where, you know, you get a chance to see him play with, with size. And he, he gets a little bit of that at Cathedral. But, but you know, it's really important. I, I'm a big believer that a point guard needs a good a good big man. The, the better the the better that relationship is, the better the point guard has to be. And it doesn't have to be a great a great big man. It can just be it's got to be somebody with good hands. It's got to be somebody that you know can be an outlet for him, even if it's not a, a, a big time scoring outlet. But it, you know it's got to be somebody who can flush the floor, so to speak, with a, you know with a rim run or a guy maybe who has three point range. And it's just, it's, it's also an opportunity for him to be able to pass into the air, you know, with lobs and, and not just have to bounce pass or shovel off or, or anything like that. And so I thought Comer 
in that environment, this was really the first time I got a chance to watch him play in the summer with, the, with an AAU team. So it really, I mean, I got a chance to see him play a lot in June and, and they're the league that they're in at Grand Park and, and the top or in the top 100, he was there. And then also the Charlie Hughes, but, but not in the summer where he's playing with, you know, legitimate, you know, big man with strength and, and who's just a, you know, just, you know, guy who can be a force down low. So he looked better. I thought he was really patient with the ball. I thought he, he was in a position where um, he could play into shots and, you know, and, and of course, you know, he was making secondary reads too. I, I really love, loved, he was throwing stuff back over his shoulder, you know, making perimeter reads when, when they, the defense, when Indiana Elite did a good job of tagging the role, man. So it's, it's those type of things that, you know, that point guards have to be able to make those advanced reads. And, um, you know, one of the things I wrote about him on uh, their game was, his, you know, he had he pretty much had his way off ball screens the whole time, lots of options on that team, and he typically made right decisions, terrific on defense, digging off the ball, lots of pressure. And, and the right decisions, probably expanding more on that, was just that second and third read. And, and him being in a position where, you know, you can't just take away him, you can't just take away – you know, the big man option, it is, it is, you've also, he's now finding shooters at different positions on the floor. So um, th- those two guys were, were the two guys, him in the season were the two guys that I thought helped themselves the most. Um, you know, there's the other dudes that I thought were, were made an impression, Jalen Jackson. I thought he was good being able to finish in traffic a little bit more consistently. And, and, you know, playing with Comer, he's a secondary ball handler a lot of times. And, and But it, what I like in that situation is he's not out there forcing shots. Like, he's trying to get his. He was still in a position of playmaking. He probably was a better playmaker in that, that environment than he is for Northrop in terms of playmaking for other people. And, and again, that has as much, as much to do with his, the, the quality of his teammates or the caliber of his teammates. So... But it was also good to see Jalen really dig down defensively and, and get into, you know, just be a really good defender. So uh, Will Loving's Watts, I thought, um, you know, he's, he's intriguing. He, you know, he needs to continue to work on his three-point shot. It's, it's not fully consistent yet. Um, he's extremely quick with the ball. And he's, he's eliminated a lot of the fluff dribble that, that starts out when, it, when a kid's isolated. But um, he uh, – he still gets in positions where if he doesn't beat his man, he's going to settle for a contested shot. And he doesn't really go anywhere with the dribble in those situations. So it's not like a Comer or a Seijin where we talk about those guys getting the spots. It's, it's Will isn't able to get by his guy, you know, with his crossover, which is a hell of a crossover. But it's, it's Will not being able to get his, by his guy. It's still settling for the fact that he just needs to shoot the ball. So, um you know, that's a part of his game he can improve. Now, if he gets you on your hip, he's going to score because he is so long and so explosive. Um, just really, um, you know, really good in that environment. And he's obviously really good in transition. I love his decision-making in transition. And he – it's it's just in that half court when he really doesn't get that move to where he can get by his guy. And – you know, he just settles for a contested shot that's beyond beyond his range. Not beyond his range, but just not a shot he needs to shoot. So other kids that I thought, um, 
you know, it was interesting. Last week we talked about Jake Davis quite a bit, moving down to the 2023 age group. He did not have a normal shooting game for him. And they, they won that game easily this, this past Saturday. But he didn't have the normal shot making that he has had, that, that he has displayed in June. But what it, what it shows is the other aspects of his game that, that are important, too. He's, a, he's obviously a good defender. He's strong. He can protect the rim in his own way. He's not going to be a shot blocker. He is going to be a guy that takes charges. He's going to be a guy that you're going to have to play through uh, physically. So um, I thought J.Q. Roberts was, was really good. He is, he's able to do more with the dribble. It seems like each time out, he, he's able to do more with the dribble. Shot's still not there yet. Love how he runs the floor. He's constantly running the floor, both directions, offense, defense. He, he never takes plays off. Uh, at least he hasn't that I've seen so far this spring and summer. He's constantly in motion. And, you know, the team he's on, he's definitely, you know, he's a rim run guy for them. And at least early in a possession, and he is a um, he's effective. He can he can elevate over people. He can he can he's got a variety of finishing moves, and he's got pretty good feel around the basket. So he's it's not a situation where he's just throwing it up there and, and hoping it goes in. He's he's got a plan, and he puts it off, and that ball comes off the backboard pretty softly. So uh, he was he was pretty impressive this weekend, and and again I thought that the. the the being able to to drive and score and, and not just drive in a straight line, but but hesitate or you know just maybe change directions, you know, farther out on the floor and make a play. Uh, just r- really part of his game that's developing, and I'm looking forward to seeing seeing that more. So um, the 2024 guys that stood out, you know, Indiana leads 2024 team pretty impressive. Now the, their two best players are both out of state kids. So Cooper Coke from from Illinois. His dad, Jr. played at Iowa. He's already gotten some Division One offers, and uh, the the guard from Kentucky, whose name is now going to escape me, um, who has already scored two thousand points in his high school career. So, you know, he's a kid at Kentucky. You can play varsity basketball as an eighth grader. I, I think you can play varsity basketball at any age down there. So, but he he's been playing varsity basketball for two years already as an incoming sophomore. He's got over 2,000 points. Um, not going to get too deep in the evaluation of him. I, I do – his ceiling is curious because I think he's just a physically mature kid for his size, but he's a point guard. So, you know, he's going to be six feet, probably going to graduate six feet. Um, you know, he looks really good right now because he's a kind of physically a man among boys at his position. He's, you know, he's being guarded by a lot of guys who haven't been – haven't hit puberty yet or, you know, definitely not gotten through it. So some of that's going to diminish as he gets older, but I think he's still going to be an effective kid. But that's that's the extent that I want to get from him. He's an out-of-state kid. So really a lot of these guys, you know, Aaron Fine played well for them. He's he's a, a, a tough ball handler. He's a, he's a scrappy kid for them. He shoots well, especially when he's catch and shoot. Got three-point range. Um, he'll, he'll chase down long rebounds. He's, he's a willing defender, uh, you know, and he – got a lot of playing time this past year in the varsity level for Noblesville as a freshman. So, you know, he's going to be part of their top three or four guys this year as a sophomore. And he, you know, he's been good for them. And that's, you know, the other guys we talked about, like Baumgart, Nick Baumgart will know more about the Myers kid from Evansville that plays for them. Um, you know, he's, he's a heady player. 
but you know he's just you wonder athletically where he's going to go with his development and you know i think the cindy elite team will probably look a little different as they as they age um they've, they've got kids that are you know that are really good right now and i you know they're, they're guys that are going to be good but you know the the coke the coke kid is going to be fantastic as he as he develops he's going to he's probably got some more growing to do at six seven six eight again he's from illinois um the, the, the guard from kentucky will probably be a staple of that team uh, but he's i think physically again there'll, there'll be a lot of guys that catch up to him physically and pass him and he'll have to prove it against bigger guards as he gets older um but of the Indiana kids, finds the one that stands out the most for them. So, even though they, even though they dominated the game, that most of the evaluations from this game were coming from the Indy Heat side. And the kid I liked the best, first of all, Bronte Johnson wasn't there, so he he did not play. So I'm not sure what the situation that was there, why he didn't play. Um, you know, I don't know if he was hurt or or football or he's a big time football player, from what we understand. So. I don't know anything about that other than the fact that he's starting to get some big offers. So, but Johnny Washington from Fort Wayne Concordia, even though he dribbled himself into some mistakes, he's a kid that I really like. Six one, and and I thought he was really skilled. He hit he hit shots off the dribble. He didn't really hit from the three point range off the dribble, but he was able to get to the free throw line area not just shoot free throws, but free throw line off the dribble and make shots. Every now and then the ball stuck with him. Like I said, he dribbled himself into some mistakes. They really liked his shiftiness with the ball and definitely look forward to him, you know, getting better. Um, two kids from Hammond. Uh, the, the one that I thought was the higher ceiling is Daniel Garza from Hammond Knoll. And there's still... You know, we talk a little bit about what's, what's a definable skill set on offense. A lot of that is also to say what translates to higher levels. Not sure yet with him. And, it, and as bad as that may sound, you know, we're not really sure what he can do on the offensive end against other talented players. You look at his length, you look at his developing skill set, he's good at a lot of different things. And, it, and at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, that makes for a really nice wing. You know, that makes for a really nice you know, division one caliber wing. And if he can start to really hone in on that jump shot, you know, if he can start get places with off the dribble and get into shots, then I think he's going to be a kid that you're going to want to know. Again, that's Daniel Garza from Cameron Knoll. Um, other kid I liked uh, from Heat, Indy Heat, was um, Lionel Brooks from Franklin Central. He got a lot of varsity minutes this year for Franklin Central as a freshman. You know, again, a kid that's, that's really good off the dribble. He's shifty. He knows how to finish once he gets the paint. Um, he's got a variety of finishes there. Three-point range, he's definitely going to have to get quicker with his release, but he has definitely got three-point range, and that's something that, you know, he'll be able to work out, work with, uh, you know, play with the coach fire kind of play from Central. So, uh, the, you know, the other kid, Trent Sisley, played up and played for the 15-year-old team, 6'7 forward from Heritage Hills. I mean, he is a kid that's got a chance to be pretty special, I think. You know, I was asked who I thought the top uh, prospects were in this event. Uh, beside, you know, that of the kids that were uncommitted, actually, it was basically who were the top prospects there at all. And I, I thought, really, it was I took it to be Indiana. Uh, the feedback I got was was 
Cooper Cook from Illinois, who we touched on. But then I thought the best Indiana prospect was Trent Sisley. And even though he's a freshman, I think he's got the highest ceiling of anybody that was there this weekend that played. Um, I think, you know, maybe, I mean, obviously C.J. Gunn is in that position where he can be, you know, certainly had in that discussion. Um, But you're talking about, you know, the difference between kids that are, you know, what they're going to look like in college and what their skill set is if they could be a pro. And I think Sisley, you know, you know, again, a lot has to develop with him athletically, uh, but he looks so smooth for a six, seven freshman. And he's, he's awfully skilled for that kid, you know, for a kid that young. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really good to see how he develops. So uh, moving on now to the games on Friday with the uh, pro player showcase. We're at a point where, Leela Walker is – you really can't just gamble on going underneath ball screens with him. And we talked a little bit about last week, but he is – he's such a good shooter now. And he – you still may pick your poison and decide that you'd rather have him shoot than get downhill. Uh, but, you know, that's – I don't think anybody can now avoid recruiting him because of his outside shot. You know, kids of his size, you know, he's a shade under six feet tall. He's certainly super athletic. So that that negates some of that height issue because he's going to be able to elevate and get when he finishes. But you look at a position where, you know, when you're that small you get, and you can shoot, like you just, you can't be that small and can't shoot. There's There's obviously been examples of that. Dominique James was the kid that I coached that went to Marquette, he was small and, and was not a strong shooter. But he was a strong kid, amazing athlete. And, you know, it didn't stop him from being very good in the, in the Big East. Definitely didn't stop him from being very good in the Big East. Um, there were times, though, I remember Georgetown was always his bugaboo. You know, and he played at a time where he was, you know, Georgetown's always got, you know, big seven-footers and and – you know, he struggled to finish over guys like Roy Hibbert, who, you know, played for Georgetown. And when you've got a jump shot, you know, you, you've got an extra layer where you, you don't have to rely on getting to the rim. And that's, that's where he was. And that's where Leland was as a sophomore, especially entering his sophomore year. The question marks were about his shooting. And I think he's answered those questions. I think he's answered those questions quite a bit. And he looks smooth, awfully smooth doing it now. And, and awfully comfortable doing it. So it's no longer an afterthought for him. And he's bouncing right into that shot. It's no longer like in the past, it would be a set shot. Like he would stop because you would go underneath the screen, you know, and he would be able to stop and, and get off a little bit of a set shot. But now it's a, a smooth flowing rhythm jump shot. And he's definitely going to have to be somebody that, that um, you know, that you're going to have to make decisions on how you go bar, ball screen. So of course he, Indiana schools aren't going to have to worry about that this year because he's transferring to Hargrave. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I think I've been pretty outspoken on my view on prep schools, not not the post-grad prep schools, but prep schools as, you know, those that high school kids that go there. Um, you know, we can we'll, – we'll talk about that here in a minute. So Ryan Conwell continues his outstanding play. Uh, he, was, he was really good Friday night. I thought Aaron Humphrey – 
you know, Aaron, it was interesting because him against better athletes, one the, the one thing I took away from it was, look, there's guards out there on the floor that are as big as Humphrey. And, you know, that underscores the fact that he probably is a little undersized at, at the power forward spot. But then you couple that with the fact that in leagues like the Ohio Valley, you know, the Atlantic Sun, you know, some of the schools that were taking interest in him, at, especially the Charlie Hughes shootout, those leagues have their power forwards are six five, six six, you know, and and so physically he fits in that scenario for sure. But then you look at him compared to other, you know, you look at him compared to guards that are on the court. Hell, even even someone like on his own team, his own school team in Tenley would, you know, Jaden Pinkston, who's the who's pretty much the same height as him, but is definitely a wing, um, you know. And and is Humphrey a wing offensively? Maybe defensively you know that's questionable now can he guard a four in the ohio valley i, I think without question he could could he guard a four in the you know a league like the a sun he could um we'll see if those schools that liked him at the charlie Hughes shootout take a step up and get to really recruiting him and offering him i thought he, the kid antoine hearns from central christian who's now going to be at at Crispus Attics, as we understand it, but he was fantastic. He is, he's such a very good athlete, really good shooter. I thought he was a good shooter this past weekend. I uh, started the game one first game we watched with an alley oop, the next possession hit a three corner three. Uh, he's not going to shoot that off the dribble, but he's definitely a catch and shoot threat from the three point line. And I, I thought he got to spots in the floor and I thought he was able to get, get into the paint and, and finish and make plays. Um, and then, you know, again, Charlie Williams, we talked a little bit about him earlier during the recruiting update. You know, he's actually at this level. Again, we're, we're talking about teams that don't scout, teams that don't scheme in the summer. So he's able to – so there's, there's less help. And so what that does for him is it allows him to put the ball on the floor and make plays or put the ball on the floor and finish, and that's what he did. And, you know, he didn't do it a lot, but he did it enough to show that he's at least the guy who can, who can straight line drive and finish. Uh, I don't know that I would expect him to change, change directions or, or be a guy who's going to just start finding people off the dribble. Um, but he's definitely a guy that can get in the paint off the dribble, at least in this action and, and finish or, or stop and then find, you know, the next, the next pass. So um, juniors to be um, not a, not a lot of new stuff here. I thought, you know, I, I continue to be impressed with, with David Merriweather from Indianapolis Metropolitan, how he's improved, uh, just improved his overall motor, improved his overall feel around the rim. He's some diminished returns the further away from the rim he gets on both ends of the floor. But he's got, you know, he's got to the point now where he's got reliable hands, reliable hands. And he gets good position with his body, especially rebounding the ball. I think he could be a little better on the offensive rebounding end, but defensively, I think he's 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 getting right there. So, um, you know, not not a lot other than that. I didn't get a chance to watch any of the incoming incoming sophomores, all the incoming juniors. There wasn't a whole lot of movement there. Um, you know, I think Jalen Hooks certainly is a kid that I, that played well last weekend. There's, there's not a lot of extra touches for him, though, last weekend, which was be kind of frustrating. They, they've got talented guards, but those guys are, are extremely score happy. 
and don't realize that he's their best player. And, you know, he's in a position where, you know, he can, you know, he can score from all three levels. His jump shot still needs work. We talk about that. It seems like every week or every time we talk about him, it's definitely not a refined, it's not a totally refined product yet, but it looks a little bit smoother each time out. And just his ability to dribble into the post, quickly back his man down or get his back into his defender and then score. That was something that looked good this past weekend. And that's, and he's, he's patient with it without having to completely, you know, go two or three dribbles into a score. You know, he's getting in there. He's, he's letting his, you know, he's letting the defender declare a side, feel his defender and then finish over the appropriate shoulder. I thought he was effective in, in that scenario as well. So, um, you know, that's it for the 2023 guys. It's, um, you know, there were, I guess, just not a lot of extra movement in terms of anybody that stood out beyond what they normally are. Uh, you know, there was, you know, but it was, you know, we've, we've definitely got a lot of write-ups on on these games that on the website, which uh, you can definitely check and see. We, we have probably need to, we've already announced sort of that we have put up a paywall now. So we, we have premium content. And really, most of our content, anything that involves an evaluation is going to be behind a paywall from now on and on our website. And so we would definitely appreciate your support. Uh, our writers, basically, when you when you subscribe, you declare what county you live in. And our writers who represent that county, they get pretty much 85% of the income that comes in from that. So... Uh, it doesn't go to me. <laughs> they they get it now. I get I got certain counties too. I got Hamilton County for sure. But but our the you know as we as and as we build riders as we add riders to our staff they are going to get the bulk of the payment. So if you are subscribing monthly or you're subscribing yearly, they are going to get the most benefit from it. So uh, definitely consider that for us. Uh, you obviously you get a little bit more if you subscribe yearly. Plus you get some savings. You get a little bit more though of content if you if you subscribe on a yearly basis than you do if you subscribe on a monthly basis. So we definitely appreciate the yearly subscription. We've already started getting some, which is nice. But as you as you click to subscribe, you'll definitely read what what you get for your money. And if um, you know that's, I think that's pretty clear. And what you get, you get more evaluations basically. Uh, you you get a chance to see all of our evaluations if you subscribe yearly, and that's that's going to be a big part of it. Um, every player in our soft, every player in our system has a profile. It's automatically generated. And I do, I do a lot of code. I write a lot of code to make that happen. I enjoy the code writing side of it. Uh, but we've got uh, two years of content up and we definitely have basically 14 months of evaluations uh, starting since, well, yeah, 13 months of evaluations starting since last June, talking about full-blown individual valuations from from AAU events, camps, leagues, and then and then to some extent, obviously their school team as well. Um, most of the school season stuff is done by posts that we put like game, you know, game reports and things like that, or if we call them game takes. Again, those are evaluations. So once we get into the school season, those will be behind a paywall and, and as be viewable from a monthly subscription. But anything we do at the event level, 
especially a lot of the AAU stuff. Any any deeper evaluation we're going to have is going to be behind that yearly paywall. So we look forward to your support there. Again, the writers, they get 85% of what, what the subscription is. Uh, certainly our, our, our uh, payment provider gets their cut, but those dudes that write will get the 85% of, of what you guys pay for subscription. So hopefully you can support that. The podcast will always be free. Uh, definitely will always be free. Even, even as Apple and Spotify start to offer uh, premium subscriptions for podcasts, we're never going to have this. This podcast will always be free. If we expand our podcast reach, maybe we, we change some of that up, but this weekly podcast will always be free. So, um, so we appreciate any support you have. Closing on Leland Walker's transfer to Hargrave. Look, there's a lot of talk about the academic side of this. Uh, and I, I appreciate each kid, each family having to make this decision for themselves. I, I don't want to take away that aspect of it. They are free to do what they want. They are free to do what's best for them. I just wanted the legitimacy of what, what's happening in terms of what they're getting out of it. You know, you look at kids this past weekend, especially Keon Thompson, who who's played a year of prep school for his senior year. And maybe I'm missing something, but he went to prep school with, with close to a dozen Division I offers. And I think he went to prep school thinking he was going to get a jump in the schools that were interested in him. That, that did not happen. And not only did it not happen, he is still uncommitted. And I think this, there's a lot of that that goes on in this instance. And I don't know that that's necessarily the fault of the prep school, but the prep school selling point is that they are going to up your recruiting. You know, they are going to, um, they're going to provide opportunities that somebody else didn't. And what I know most about recruiting is that there is this weird sense of urgency that social media creates where guys are getting offers, especially now for this 2023 class, where there's about a half dozen guys who've gotten offers already. And the other guys are wondering what the heck are they doing wrong? And the reality is, is that most of the schools, especially now with the transfer portal, most of the colleges are going to recruit one class at a time. You know, was Caden Vasco going to get a, you know, a Kansas City, Missouri offer, regardless of Lowell or being at Lowell or being at Don Bosco? I, you know, I, you know, he really only practiced a few times. I mean, certainly I think he's probably worked out with those Bosco guys. And those are some of the guys that work him out. So certainly kudos to them for, for making, for helping him develop. But him and Brett Harris getting those offers, before Bosco's even had a season, I don't know that we can definitively say that that playing at that prep school has helped them get offers. You know, the postgrad stuff is different. You know, postgrad stuff, you see kids, you know, they, they, they get the extra year to develop. Sometimes that's a big deal. Sometimes you get kids that, for whatever reason, lost out on recruiting time because of injuries. Um, I think you'll see some, some post-prep or some post-grad decisions here pretty soon from some kids because the, they lost exposure to COVID. And, and again, the injury thing, we had, a, again, we had a kid in our program go to Bosco as a post prep or as a post grad. And he was out, you know, he had a great year for them and was able to get his recruiting back to what it was, but it didn't jump a level. It stayed to the level that it was. And I think that's the one thing that is, none of these guys are going to have their ceiling changed by going to a prep school. None of that changes. Now, does their floor change? Perhaps. But does their floor change because they go to the prep school? Or does, or does their floor change because they decided to – or because they got older? I would say it's far more the latter than the former. 
Obviously, those schools would, would argue that. In Leland's case, there's the academic component. And if he struggles academically with a, with a regular curriculum, I'm not sure how, how legitimate, I don't know if legitimate is the right word, because it's not like I'm not suggesting that Hargraves cut is, you know, no one over there is cheating the system, but how legitimate it is for them academically to stack his curriculum and get to the point where he suddenly now is eligible to play as a freshman. Um, I don't know that he's going to get any benefit from athletically from playing at Hargrave versus playing at North Central. He's he you'll have better teammates at Hargrave maybe than North Central, but I don't uh, don't know that he'll have a ton of better competition because of how good the Mick is, because of how good North Central schedule is. So probably in the minority on this. Obviously, everybody is like let the families decide, live and you know, live and let live. But there's just been a lot of cases where kids have gone to this, the prep school route as their senior year more and more. And I haven't seen a lot of returns for it. You know, you see these guys that have gone to Elevate Academy up in Fort Wayne. I don't know anything about how they function on a day-to-day basis. But just not seeing the development in these kids, not seeing the opportunity scholarship-wise change. Um, you know, you, you make that decision because you think there's something bigger and better on the horizon, and it's just not happening. And, you know, maybe if you're a small school kid, like, like Babuziak, Landon Babuziak at, at Hanover Central. I mean, Hanover Central is a 3A school. You know, they play a pretty good schedule. Um, you know, he's going to get an opportunity to be seen on this, you know, in the summer. You know, I don't know what, maybe he gets a little bump from playing at Bosco from an exposure standpoint. But I think he was going to get those offers no matter what. He's got an offer last week. And I'm going to forget where it's from. But, you know, as much as he's played in front of college coaches or as much as he's played in, in, on good competitive teams in the summer, he's going to have that reputation anyway. I mean, we've been uh, pretty high on him from the beginning and, and felt all along that he was going to get low, you know, low D1 and, and mid D1 offers. So they're just now starting to come in, I think, in large part because he's just now becoming a senior and really getting the recruiting crosshairs of, of colleges. So. That's my take on a pub school again, probably overheard it. I mean, you've definitely heard it several times on this podcast, but um, it's too bad that Leland left North Central from a, from a fan standpoint because I've enjoyed watching him play and watching him compete in the mix is, is definitely something that has been, been fun because those I mean, North Central, uh, I live almost as close to North Central High School as I do Carmel. So I get to see them play five, six times a year just in principle, uh, just because they're so close. And sometimes the weather dictates it. Sometimes I'm just lazy. And it's just really easy to pop down to 86th Street and watch them play when they got kids like Luna Walker playing. So I'm going to miss him being in the state of Indiana. So that's it for this week. It's podcast. Uh, this this month with with travel for AAU and, and you know, how many Indiana teams we're going to see when we're in Atlanta. We're going to be in Atlanta this week. There may not be a lot of Indiana teams down there. Uh, if they if they are, we'll try to watch them. Uh, Louisville the weekend after that. Uh, th- there's going to be some events here in Indiana that will hopefully we'll have some guys be able to attend and watch. And if that's the case, then we'll be able to have a little bit more content, um, a little bit more content for our podcast, and definitely some more voices. I know you definitely don't want to hear me talk for an hour straight, but um, hopefully month of June or month of July, we'll we're we're going to keep podcasting and talking about the stuff that we see. 
And then once we get into August, you know, basically we're, you know, we're what nine weeks or maybe 12 weeks away from, from the start of the school season. That's not going to be difficult to fill that content up as we start to preview classes. We start to preview, you know, players, kids starting to make recruiting decisions. And then we even get started to get maybe a deeper look into some of the younger guys too. So, so that's going to be it for this week. Let me get our reads in real quick. Box Out Sports is the leading online graphic solution, giving you the ability to create professional content in seconds to highlight your team and student athletes this season. You can sign up for a free demo at boxoutsports.com. Those are, it's not just for basketball, as Zach likes to point out. You can do that for anything. We use it here uh, on our stuff too. So it's, you don't even have to have like a regular schedule or a regular event process. We use it just to get some simple graphics up. Uh, when I'm not doing some of the Photoshop work, but Courtside Indiana podcast is on Apple's podcast and Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. You can subscribe via each of those apps and have them delivered straight to your phone, tablet, or desktop. We'd appreciate a rating and review. Definitely would appreciate a five-star review from you guys. We, we definitely uh, enjoy the support that we're getting. Hopefully you guys will consider the, uh, the, the, the premium content that we're putting up. The, you know, now that the paywall is up and, um, you know, start getting some of these writers paid a little bit. Looking forward to giving them that opportunity. Zach's been working hard for two years, and we are definitely going to definitely going to be adding more voices to this website. So, so for those that listen every week, we appreciate it. And for those that are listening for the first time, we hope you come back and subscribe. And well, this has been Courtside Indiana podcast. Thanks, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>